Our guest speaker today, I say as a guest speaker, special speaker, is here today as a guest, but shortly will no longer be a guest. Come January 1st, he will be on staff here at Colonial full-time. If you remember last April, Dr. Walter Rost stepped down from full-time ministry in the care ministry, still works in visitation, but not full-time. And coming in January, Dr. Tom Zempel will be coming to the staff here and will be leading then the care ministry. Dr. Zempel comes to us. Presently, he is serving as a vice president of academic affairs, professor of biblical counseling at Central Baptist Seminary in Minneapolis. Prior to that, he was the senior pastor of a church in Windsor Lock, Connecticut, for over a decade. And before that, he had served on college campuses as well as assistant pastoring. And so he comes to us with 10 years of a senior pastorate in the New England area and then over 20 years now in the area of counseling, biblical counseling, and setting up counseling centers and training counselors. It's a delight to have him. He completed his doctorate nearly two decades ago from Westminster Theological Seminary in the area of biblical counseling. By the way, uh, Pastor Harbaugh, who is leading the music this morning, as well as Pastor Stephen Pritchett, are both completing their doctorates right now at Westminster in the area of counseling. Very shortly then, we will have three doctorates leading our counseling ministry and their staff as we begin then to expand that area and even setting up a counseling center here in this part of the United States to impact not only our church and our community, but then in our region. A great opportunity to help folks in our region come to know Christ and then help them become sanctified through the preaching here at Colonial and in their areas of their personal lives through our counseling ministry, help them. So this is a great gift to our church. Dr. Zempel will be leading that ministry. As we said, he'll be moving here shortly, has a home to sell, those areas to tie up back as he completes that ministry in Minneapolis, and then he'll be able to join us here in just a few months. He'll be bringing his wife, Jane. He has a family with three children. Actually, that family has grown now, includes six grandchildren. I've asked Tom to come and tell us about his family, and he'll do that as he steps to the pulpit. But our newest pastor on staff, joining us shortly then, Pastor Dr. Tom Zempel, let's welcome him to the pulpit. Well, welcome, and it is my privilege and joy to be here this weekend. Uh, it was a, it's a hurry-up trip. I flew out of Wisconsin yesterday and got here uh, last evening, and I, my flight leaves at 1.30 this afternoon. I go back to Wisconsin. I land. I get my car. We drive back to Minneapolis. We'll get there about midnight or 1 in the morning. So it's a, it's a full day for us, but it's, it's well worth it. If I were back in Minneapolis today, this is how our Sundays go. I would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and my wife and I both, and I would run three miles, and my wife runs two. We would come back home, hurry up and shower, and get changed. And then we would turn on the computer, and we would join the first service of Colonial. We got to hear the summer series. We have been following Pastor Stephen in the book of James and our hearts have been 
filled and thrilled and excited. I feel like, I mean, our hearts have just been drawn here. And I, I feel like as I step into this place today, like somehow I know many of you, and I don't, but I, we have a connection because I've been joining with you in the services. And then we have a half hour between that service and the next one, so we finish getting ready for our service, and then we join you in the second service. And we go through it again, and then we jump in the car and hurry up and get to church and and uh, to worship in our home church. And so we sit under three services every Sunday morning, and um, it's a delight. Our family is really looking forward to joining here with me, and um, I'm anxious for you to meet them. My wife, Jane, my wife of 43 years, I met her when she was in third grade. And I was smitten by her. Literally, I was smitten by her. I was in fifth grade. I was more mature, obviously. And so I was smitten by her. It took her a long time to be smitten by me, but I convinced her. And um, so I married my childhood sweetheart, the only girl my whole life that I ever was interested in. And I, um, we've, we've got a great marriage. She's a great wife, a great mother, and a great grandmother. We have three children. Our oldest, Jonathan, married to Renee, live in San Jose, California. They have four of our grandkids there. I said, you know what? I, I don't care where you and Renee choose to live. This is not good, though, that the grandkids live there. They really ought to be closer to us. Uh, Sophia, Noah, Ellie, and Megan. And then our youngest is Amy, married to Neil, lives just an hour from where we live, and they have two boys, Grant who we consider is granted from God. Uh, Amy was told, even while she was expecting Grant, and didn't know she was expecting him, that she would never have children. Uh, she had had seven surgeries. It's a long story, but God gave them and granted them Grant. Um, he's eight years old, and then they adopted a little boy uh, from birth, Wesley. Wesley is a doll, and it, it has been a joy to be a part of that rescue ministry with them and to be a grandfather and a grandmother of an adopted grandson. Our middle child, no longer, none of them being children, is Ben. Ben has Down syndrome. He lives with us at home. He's 36. He has a, a, works part-time at a company there in Minneapolis, and that company actually is going to transfer him here to carry with us, and we'll be able to start work in the same company here in the area. So uh, it's going to be a great loss for them in Minneapolis. They love Ben. I could tell you stories, uh, long stories. I mean, people just go there to see Ben, really. and uh, They're going to miss him, and they'll, and they'll be glad to have him here. Amy and Neil uh, have desired to come to this area for some time, and they're the ones that live right an hour from us. Neil has put out a number of resumes, and the last month he has had contact from a company and um, they've been talking, they've been emailing back and forth, and then they've been talking on the phone. And he flies here tomorrow evening and interviews on Tuesday with four people in the company. So we're excited about that, and we're trusting that that would be his employment and uh, that they could actually move here. And if our house doesn't sell, I'm going to have to come here alone in December but if they get to move ahead of me, I'll have some place to live. That'll be kind of nice. So, 
And uh, so we're, we're hoping our house sells before December and that Janie and Ben can come with me and we can be moved here and get our things here and get into the work. We're anxious to, to start serving together with the staff here and, and with you as the people of Colonial. And I'm um, looking forward to this opportunity. I am honored and really humbled by such an opportunity. There's so much, I believe, that God would have us to accomplish together. And I am thrilled to be able to be a part of it. I would like you to turn with me, if you would, your attention to Psalm 73. I wish I could meet some of you after the service. I got to meet people after the first two services, but I I am, right after I pray, I'm going out the back door and we're headed for the airport. We're praying that it wasn't like it was last night when they picked me up at the airport. We were involved in the state fair traffic. I was lucky to get here for the morning service. (laughs) Amazing. In this psalm, the psalmist is struggling with a feeling. It's a feeling that is captivating his heart. In fact, Asaph mentions the word heart six times in this text. Heart is the word that is used most often in the scriptures to define us. Uh, when the Bible says that man is the man's heart is evil always, does not mean that just some aspect of man is evil, but it means the total person is evil. When the Bible tells us to love the Lord God with all our hearts, it means that I am supposed to, with all that I am, every aspect of me, ought to love God. And what's happened to Asaph is that his heart is being filled with doubt. Now, what is doubt? It's a feeling. It's a feeling that is generated by a number of things, as we'll see. But nonetheless, it's an emotion. And there are a number of ways in which people deal with feelings. And I love what Asaph teaches us here in this text about how to deal with these feelings. There are those who would suggest that the best thing to do is to sort of identify yourself with your feeling. Take on your feeling, and then you sort of become what you feel. And then you gather together with a group of people who feel the same way, and then you, on a regular basis, meet with these people, you sit around with them, and you identify yourself as, or Asaph would, hi, I am Asaph, and I'm a doubter, and then share his feelings. Hi, I am Tom. I'm a doubter and share my feelings. Asaph doesn't do that in this text. Most of us, there's a second way we deal with our feelings, and that is we tend to stuff them. We don't like to, we don't like to deal with our feelings. We don't like to identify them. We act as though they're not there. So we just stuff them, and it is kind of unique, isn't it, that in two or three days they tend to disappear, Things tend to change in our life, and they tend to disappear, and we think, well, I'll just hold it out, I'll just wait, in two or three days, everything will be fine. And it's a deceptive thing, people, because it's not really fine. All you have to do is face your next life experience that is a struggle, or the next circumstance in your life that casts your heart to doubt who God is, and then guess what? All these other doubts from the other circumstances rush into your heart, and they fill your heart with doubt... And you struggle with those issues and never deal with the emotion that is filling your heart. 
What Asaph does is something very different from those two. He dares to pray what he feels. What we have in Psalm 73 is the writer of the psalm who is coming before his God and expressing his heart to God. He is praying what he feels. Maybe you could picture it this way. What if you could just turn right now to that person next to you, there'd be an empty seat there, and God is sitting there. And you would say Asaph's words, God, you said, and you have made it known, that you are good to Israel. And especially to those who have kept their hearts pure and clean. In fact, God, I've kept my heart pure. I've kept my heart clean. And it seems to me that I've just spent that part of my life in vain. Because I look around my world and I see a lot of people who do not love you, a lot of people who do not know you, who have no care for you, and yet they're prospering. They don't have any troubles. Life is great for them. Where are you, God? Where have you been? This God that I knew was good does not feel very good to me right now. Don't you care about me? Don't I matter to you? Doesn't it bother you? Doesn't it even matter to you that I'm going through this suffering and that my heart is filled with doubt? Where have you been? And you would say, if God were sitting next to me, that's the last thing I'd say to him. But Asaph dares too. And people, when we open our hearts to God, not gossip to other people about the unfairness of God, not telling all our friends how unjust God is, but going to God, and pouring out our hearts to him, two things begin to happen. One, you cannot pour out your heart and faith to God without sensing and knowing that God is there. And you begin to learn something about God that you have forgotten. You begin to sense God for who he really is. Your heart begins to soften. The other thing that happens is that you begin to hear yourself. You ever notice how when your heart is filled with some emotion that you are anxious? If I could just sit down and talk to somebody, if I could just get alongside somebody, if I could just get with a friend and just, just pour out my heart, if I could just do that. And that when you do, you begin to hear yourself say some things that almost shock you. Whoa, I didn't really know I was feeling that way. Or I, you know, I really probably shouldn't say that. Well, that's exactly what happens to Asaph when he started pouring out his heart to God. He began to hear the words of his prayer, and he begins to realize something about his own heart that he didn't see or identify prior to that. Praying our feelings, whether it be the feeling of doubt, as Asaph experienced, the feeling of fear, whatever that emotion is, we ought to go before our God, and we ought to pour out our hearts to God and let him know what it is we're feeling. Now, why is doubt such a frightening thing and really a dangerous thing for us? It is because, people, doubt tends to masquerade as being truthful. In fact, it carries with it such powerful influence of being truthful 
that God himself seems to be a liar. That is dangerous. And we need to realize that. That this emotion, this emotion that was driving Asaph was telling him things that were not true. But Asaph began to believe that they were. And if you believe what doubt is going to tell you, then what you know about God is not going to match up with who God is. But you will begin to redefine who God is based on what your doubt is teaching you. So what I want to look at in this text are three things. The condition, the cause of that condition, and most importantly, how do we find the cure for this condition called doubt? So what is the condition? Asaph defines it simply as he almost slipped. Picture, if you would, someone on a cliff. He's right at the precipice. He's right at the edge of the cliff. He's looking over, and he is beginning to sense that his feet are going to lose their grip, and he's going to fall over the cliff. That is what Asaph is describing for us, but it's not a cliff that he is on. What he is on is a journey of a heart filled with doubt, and he's beginning to lose faith in God. In fact, this concept of Losing our grip or losing our footage or slipping is often used in the scripture of someone who is unsaved. They have no faith in God. They have no foothold. They're losing their foothold. They've lost their foothold. So Asaph is telling us that the condition is this. I am filled with doubt I'm losing my faith, God, and I am about ready to abandon what I know about you because what I know about you doesn't match up with what I see in my world. And I need you, God. I need you to help. How would we define this? I I like to define it in this way. That what Asaph is going through is what I would define or call a spiritual vertigo. He knows this to be true about God. He sees his world and how God is prospering his world. And it's causing his faith to begin to spin. So that where he stands in relationship to God seems to be very shaky. And seems like he's going to lose his foothold. And he's going to slide away. He's going to fall from his faith. Have you ever experienced vertigo? Your world begins to spin. You reach with your foot to find ground to stand on. Well, I think Asaph is experiencing a spiritual vertigo. God, I thought you were good. But I see something that does not add up to what I know about you. The spiritual vertigo is Asaph seeing... Something that his heart does not believe. His heart wants to believe that God is good. To Israel and those who are pure in heart. That's what his heart wants to believe. That's what he states. But he sees the world being treated well. They're prospering. They're not suffering. Everything goes great for them. 
And now he's trying to plant his feet on something solid and he can't, he's, he's having trouble finding it. The Bible has the answers for us as we have these kinds of circumstances. But what do these circumstances demonstrate to us? I think two things. One, and I'm encouraged by this. I'm encouraged by who it is that's writing this psalm. I mean, this is a man who is a wise man. This is a man who is older in, in, in his spiritual journey. He's a man who has written a number of the psalms and the psaltery. He's a man who loves God. He's a man who walks with God. I mean, if Asaph can get to this place in his spiritual journey, does it make sense then it probably could happen to us as well? I think so. In fact, I would dare say there are very few people sitting in front of me here who haven't experienced to some degree what I'm talking about. It may have been this week, this month, may have been this morning. It could be anything from wondering if going to church is really all that important for you today. Obviously it is, you're here. But maybe there have been those times where you said, you know, I just need a break. I've had a busy week, a lot of things going on, and I just need to stay home and rest. And what you're saying is, my rest from a busy week is more important than what God has to say to me today, so I'll just stay home and rest. And, what, and what, what's happening there is that there's a degree of doubting whether God can even minister to you today or give you what you need today, what most can be brought to you and, and give you what you need is sitting home in your easy chair or on your sofa and just relax for the day. Or it could be to where you've just lost a loved one or you've just been told you have a terminal disease or you've just lost your job. Something huge has come into your life and it appears to you that God is not there that God doesn't care. You know he does because you know the Bible, but it doesn't feel like it. And so you are filled with doubting and you go back and forth and your footing is very unstable and wondering if God really knows what he's up to or even if he cares about what's going on in your life. Oh, you wouldn't dare tell anybody else that. In fact, you haven't even told God that. But it's the self-talk that goes on in your own heart. That is where Asaph is. And if Asaph struggles, struggle through that, we're going to struggle through it. But we've got to learn what Asaph learned. The second thing this demonstrates to us is a powerful truth, and that is doubt is, is the kind of emotion that can lead us to the gospel. Not only to regeneration, though I, as I help plant a church in Minneapolis called All Nations Baptist Church, where we would reach out into the University of Minnesota to the Ph.D. students that were coming from other countries and people, many of those students never read a Bible, never had a Bible, do not believe that there is such a thing as God, and certainly Christ is just a fairy tale. And um, so we get them a Bible, and we get them to start reading the Scriptures. And what is interesting, that in that process of reading, we've seen a number of these Ph.D. students come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they're hearing from the Scriptures 
something about God that they did not see to be true. But the Bible teaches it. And then when they're convinced that the Bible is authentic, that the Bible actually supports its authority, and that the Bible supports the fact that there is God, then Jesus Christ must be real. And if Jesus Christ is real, then in fact I must be a sinner. And if I'm a sinner, I must be saved. It was the doubting that brought them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But I think also in our sanctification, I think of Thomas, doubting Thomas. He's not much different than the rest of the disciples. They doubted. Jesus dies. Everything they thought was true of Jesus comes to a screeching halt for them. He's not who he said he was. He's not going to do what he said he was going to do. And they go back to their fishing. They go back to life. Thomas doubts until Jesus meets him after his ascension, after his resurrection. And he shows him the prints, the scars of his hand and his side. And Thomas makes one of the most profound statements of faith, I believe, in in all of the word of God. When Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Doubt brought Thomas to a deep sense of faith. I think at that moment there was an immense amount of feelings of doubt that left the heart of Thomas, and his heart is filled with truth, the truth that he knew about Jesus, and now it all makes sense. I think of Nathaniel. Remember, Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, you won't believe we found the Messiah. You've got to come and see him. By the way, he's from Nazareth. Nazareth? Nathaniel says, has any good thing ever come out of Nazareth? It would be very easy for Philip to say, you know, I didn't think of that. I can't think of any good thing that's come out of Nazareth. Maybe I didn't find the Messiah. That isn't what he does. He says, Nathaniel, come and see. Just come and see. And Nathaniel comes and sees and believes that doubt was powerful enough to let it be challenged. And he goes with Philip. We tend to do two things with the doubter and our doubt. With a doubter, we tend to rebuke them. You don't, no, you shouldn't be thinking that way. Stop thinking that way. I like what Philip did. Just come and see. You know, for the doubter, let me show you. Just come and see. That's what I do is I counsel them. Let me show you the God of the Bible. Let me show you what the Bible has to say about what's going on in your life. Come and see. And when doubt hits us, we tend to be paralyzed by it. We believe the lies of the emotion. And we abandon our faith. And we forget God. The condition. What's the cause? Simply this. Asaph knows this to be true about God, but he sees his world. He sees what's going on, and he sees the injustice. It was okay for Asaph that the world was doing fine until Asaph wasn't doing fine. Isn't that how it hits us, folks? Hey, I don't care that the neighbor next door has, you know, two new cars and a beautiful home and a great job, as long as my car keeps running, as long as my job keeps supplying my financial needs, that's great. I'm happy. And then your car breaks down. And then it's, God, why doesn't his car break down? And why is it my car always breaks down? 
Why is it they get to go on vacation two times or three times a year, and we can hardly meet out going on vacation one week a year? When we get our focus off from God and what He's doing in our lives, and we get our focus on these things out here, and we begin to see how they're prospering and how I'm not prospering, and then my heart begins to get filled with doubt. That is what's happening to Asaph. They're prospering. Everything's going great for them. I'm suffering. And that's when it hit him. That is the cause. Most importantly, what I want us to learn from this text is what is the cure? What does Asaph do to get past this being controlled by his emotion and actually coming to the place where his feet are anchored on his faith and the God that he knew but lost sight of? There are four things. Since doubt masquerades as being truthful, then I would suggest the first thing you have to do and what Asaph had to do is disbelieve your doubts. Asaph had to come to the place in verse 13 when he says, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence for all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. But then he comes to realize everything he thought that was true about his world around him was not true. That they weren't prospering. That everything was not going well for them. And he had to disbelieve the lies of his emotion and anchor to the truth of what the Bible says. Disbelieve your doubts. I think a passage that will help us in this is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul says that we ought to bring every thought captive. We ought to take those thoughts and we ought to bring them in and garrison them and not allow them to, if they are teaching us falsehood, not to allow them to influence us and control us, but to abandon that thought. Bring it into captivity. Don't let it rule. Don't let it reign. Don't let it have sovereign in your life. So we need to disbelieve our doubts. The second thing that Asaph does is in verse 17. He says in verse 17... Until I went into the sanctuary of God. What is this? Well, for Asaph, it was actually going into the sanctuary. And then when he went into the sanctuary, one of the things that took place there is that the scrolls were unrolled and the word of God was read. They would stand there for an hour or more listening to the word of God read. And as Asaph hears the word read... He begins to realize that what he saw and how he interpreted it was not what the scrolls were saying about his God. In fact, the scriptures were saying about his God what he believed to be true about his God initially. That he really is good to Israel and especially to those who are pure in heart. And that what doubt was teaching him was a lie because there's something about these people that is not true that the, that the lies are telling him. 
Asaph says, I'm standing on the precipice of my faith. I feel like I'm going to slip. But these people were in a much different circumstance, as we'll see in a moment. You enter the sanctuary, and people, I would suggest to you that as your heart is filled with doubt, when you are going through these tough circumstances in your life, whatever they are that cast doubt upon your heart, you've got to find your sanctuary. It may be that just coming to a service like this would be a place where you hear what you need to hear. You find the answers to your doubts. But I would suggest that maybe what you need to do is find your closet. Find that place where you can enter in and you get into the scriptures and you learn about your God. You let the word teach your heart about who God really is. Remind you afresh and anew what you did know about him that you still need to know about him. That in fact, that God is good. That God is who he says he is. Seeing. Seeing our circumstances. Seeing our world. Ace of seeing the unbelieving world can inform him. The statements he makes appear to be true. They do not suffer. They have no pains in their death. They're not troubled like we are. I mean, it lists a whole list of things here. You watch, and it looks like that might be the case. You see it, it looks to be reliable. Seeing can inform, but nothing can transform you like the reading of the Word. My mind does not have to be informed. It needs to be transformed. My heart needs to be changed. My heart needs to be changed and conformed to the person of Jesus Christ. I need to be changed. I need to be shaped more and more into the person of Jesus Christ. And so I stop listening to the voices of my doubts. And I listen to the voice of God through his word. And I let the word reshape how I think, how I understand Only the Word of God can transform. And in the times of doubt, we need to be transformed. We need to be transformed by the Word of God. We must enter into the sanctuary. I think of Job chapter 40. God asks Job a question. He's about to ask him several other questions. But he asks his first question. Job's been doing a lot of talking up to this point. And I like what Job says. He says, God, I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth. (laughs) I'm just just going to be quiet, and I'm going to listen. Get into your sanctuary. Put your hand over the mouth of your heart. Stop listening to the lies of doubt and listen to what God has to say. Make him, make God the object of your worship, even when you don't believe he cares. Even when you, it's hard for you to think that he is doing anything in your life that is good, worship him. Worship him. Thirdly, compare footholds. Notice in verse 18, he says, Surely you set them in slippery places. That's a very different word than what he used concerning himself. 
He says, God, I I feel like I'm on the edge and I feel like my feet are going to slip. They're not sliding. I feel like they're going to slip. But he comes to reality. He looks at this world around him that seems to be prospering and he says this, they are sliding. They are on their way to eternal damnation. Their lives are heading for destruction, absence from God for all eternity. And it wakes him up. And helps him to realize that what he thought to be true about God is not true at all. So he compares faith to putting his feet on something solid. He realizes at this point now that there's something that he needs to do. And that is he needs to take a huge leap of faith. A faith from disbelieving doubts to believing God. And people, that leap of faith is not easy. I counsel with people who are filled with doubts. Doubts about God. Doubts about God's word. Doubts about God's goodness to them because of their circumstances. And it is not an easy task to get them to stop believing what their doubts are telling them. And about the time we take three steps forward, there's a step back. It's a battle, but it's a battle that must be fought, and it's a battle that must be won. You have got to take the leap of faith from disbelieving doubts and anchoring yourself to the truth of God's word. And Asaph came to the reality after being in the sanctuary and hearing the word. They're sliding. They're not prospering. Life is not good for them. And you are good to us, God. Those of us who keep our hearts pure, especially, you're good to us. Let me ask you, is God good because he does good things in our lives? Or is God good because the Bible says he's good? See, what we need to learn is we only see it from this side. So whatever it is that you're going through that has brought the doubts in your life, just remember this. In the midst of that, God is good. God is good. He's always good. He always takes what we are going through to use it for good, to grow us and to mature us, to help us to become more like Jesus Christ. He is a good God. By nature, he's good. It's not that he just does good things. He is good by nature. And then fourthly, we need to accept God's presence. And Asaph in verses 21 through 23, as he's sharing his heart with God in this prayer, he comes to this realization that as as it all comes to him while he's praying to God, and he realizes, God, I have been such a brute beast before you. To think that you loved them and you cared for them more than you cared for us. He says, I've been so wrong. And I realized that all the time I was drifting away from you, all the time my faith was weakening and I was about ready to just fall down to give up my faith. All the time I was doing that, you were holding me by my right hand. Just remember in the throes of those doubts, remember this, God is there with you, holding you by your right hand. When the hard things of life come, remember, he sticks closer than a brother. 
Remember when the difficulties of life come your way or the, 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 the bad report or whatever it is that you face that is bringing doubts into your heart. Remember this, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And Asaph realized, I was so beastly before you, God. You were holding me. When I felt like I was going to fall off the cliff, you had me. You wouldn't let me go. You stayed with me. When my faith was weakening and I was thinking that you weren't the God you said you were, you still loved me. You held me. You kept me. I would ask, in what way and over what things do you doubt God? Maybe God's doing some things in your life today and they don't make any sense to you. Be honest about where you're doubting God. And then compare footholds. And then I would suggest to you, as hard as it is and as difficult as it is, take the leap of faith. Disbelieve what doubts teach you. And hold on to what God says, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense to you right now. Take the leap of faith, anchor to the word, and dash those feelings of doubt. They're pesty things. They take us down. They hurt. But God brings everything we need to heal us and to help us and to grow us in the midst of those things we go through. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it has been to be here this morning. What a privilege we have to bring your word, present it. And thank you for how the Spirit of God takes you the word and applies it to our own lives and strengthens us and helps us, answers hard, hard questions and molds us and shapes us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. We pray for Pastor Stephen. I pray for the ministry of Colonial. I pray for these people and ask for your continued blessing upon this ministry. Keep it, garrison it, guard it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.